When I shoot my shot, it's the whole vibe where it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a fuck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand all like, woo! Bitch, you want when we shooting in the gym? Wrong night, fucking form like Mike. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson, action. James Harden with the range, okay, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine circus. And you could live through anything if magic made it. <laughs> What up, my fellow Nick fans? This is your guy Marcellus Ease. Don't panic quite yet. Now, this year we're in a very unique position in the NBA lottery, as we have the eighth pick, the 27th pick, and the 38th pick. The reasoning why it's unique is that we have about 12 draft picks for at least the next upcoming three drafts, all in all, including this one. And the teams that are ahead of us, some of them are in positions where they don't necessarily want to pick someone out of the draft. Teams like the Chicago Bulls, they basically have almost a lottery pick in almost every position, and they're kind of looking to build their team to a higher quality so next season they won't be stuck in the same position. Same thing for the Atlanta Hawks, as Trey Young has made comments that he wants his team to be more competitive, and also the Golden State Warriors. You know they're going to be looking to trade their pick to perhaps utilize on Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green while they're still good before their prime is basically up. Now, because where we fell into the draft and then us having all these picks, we're in a very unique position to either make a trade to possibly get a higher caliber guard or another roster filler that we need, or we could potentially let go of some of these picks to gain some assets. Or maybe even for 2022, as I'm gonna pull up this chart here, we don't have other teams' picks. We could possibly trade away some of the picks we have and get more picks for that draft class as it's slated that high school guys can actually be eligible to enter the league as well as guys coming out of college. Also, what's very tricky about us being number eight right now in the draft is that we sort of gonna be in a balancing act of getting the best player possible, which might not be for a position that we need, which is mostly right now is point guard. That's our major issue. There's guys that's gonna be way ahead, like the third, fourth, fifth pick, that's probably guards that we should try to get but also where we land there's going to be better power forwards maybe other small forwards that we can draft that's actually the best talent available but after we pick going like anywhere from the ninth pick to like the 15th pick there's other guards that we could possibly draft on our team see this is where our 12 future draft picks is going to come into play we should maybe make a possible trade into getting sort of in that middle of the pack so we could possibly trade one of our 2021 draft picks to perhaps get another point guard to levy the issue that we have on our team, which is basically a trickle-down effect of us not having a guard, that we got R.J. Barrett playing out of position. Guys are not actually getting set up to get easier shots and then not making dumb mistakes so in transition defense, they won't get beat. So Leon Rose's new front office team is going to have a lot of work ahead of them. Scouts like Frank Zanin and Walt Perriman, these guys have long, great scouting history especially Walt Perriman, drafting guys like Donovan Mitchell, Gordon Hayward. He's even had some mistakes in drafting guys like Dante Exum, fifth overall, but it's all good. And Frank Zanin, of course, he's out of OKC. You already know how they move. They drafted Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Reggie Jackson, James Harden. 
They kept finding talent after talent after talent. So these are the types of guys that's around Leon Rose's team, especially Brock Aller. This is where the trades and the cap space and the assets, you know, this guy's going to manage all these things. He's a salary cap guru. Once again, Brock Aller is that guy out of Cleveland that helped the Cavs switch out their team that last year that LeBron was there and made sure all the pieces fit within the cap. That's how they was able to make these moves. They had that salary cap guru. So these guys around Leon Rose, this team is going to have a huge workout for them because there's a plethora of options during this draft. Positioning outside of the top three picks doesn't really matter. And if at that, the top three picks are very iffy. Guys like Anthony Edwards, he's a really solid player, but he's been very fairly inconsistent within his college career. And he stated out of his own mouth that he had a lot of bad games. Then you look at James Wiseman, who slated to go number two. His college basketball career was very short. He only played three games, then he got hurt. He's a big man who can't really guard other positions, which is gonna be a major red flag for a lot of teams. Players in today's league, they have to guard multiple positions. And he's seven feet, he's an old school big man. He sounds like a perfect piece that Golden State needs, but him not being able to switch might be a major issue. That's why I said Golden State might be trying to get out of that pick. Then of course, hyped up LaMelo Ball. I'm not saying he's gonna be a bad player, but I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to come in and make a change right away. He's played in the Australian Developmental League. We don't really even know any players out of Australia. And he's only played about 12 games. And his shooting percentages are not good at all. I mean, he basically was given the green light to chuck up a bunch of shots. And, you know, he was shooting about 36% from field goal range and 25% from three. So all these guys, they all have their issues. Of course, you know, these guys are tremendous talents, but they all have their question marks. But if we don't trade picks, it would be very surprising because, once again, with all these picks, you can't keep all these guys. I mean, it's either they're going to expect guys to be a bust or guys currently on the team to get cut. I don't know how that's going to work out if they don't at least move some of these picks because the Knicks have about 12 draft picks in the next three to four drafts. And with that tremendous free agency class in 2021, It'd be very interesting to see if Leon Rose sticks to the rebuild. If we do potentially trade away some of these picks, it'll begin to reveal some of Leon Rose's poker hands to see what is his exact plans. But you know how it is. In today's league, a lot of teams overvalue their players. It's kind of hard to do trades. But if anything, hopefully we can at least offload some of these picks and shift more of them into 2022. Well, there's going to be high school players coming out of the draft and more college players. So the pool of high caliber talent actually might be higher that year. And speaking of Leon Rose, man, he is really letting Tom Thibodeau have the flexibility to hire who he wants as his coaching staff. As we've seen before with previous presidents like Steve Mills, even though Mike Woodson had that 54 game win season, he was not allowed to keep his own coaching staff the following year. So it's good to see that Thibodeau and Leon Rose is actually on the same page. Now, Tibbs went on a hiring spree after he got Kenny Payne last week. This week, he got guys that he used to work with, like Andy Greer. He worked with him out in Minnesota, and he also was able to get Dice Yashimoto, which he previously worked with Tibbs in Chicago and in Minnesota to complete that CAA Holy Trinity. But let me stop playing. <laughs> let me stop playing because Mike Woodson, in the last 20 years, has been the most successful coach that the Knicks had with that 54 win season. So it's great that they brought him along because he handled the bright lights, the pressure, he handled that really well, especially the fact that Steve Mills definitely fucked him over after he, that great performance of a season the year before. But oh no, Tibbs ain't stopped there. One of his best hires, perhaps this off season, 
is getting Johnny Bryant part of the assistant coaching staff for development. Oh my God, this guy's a development guru. He's helped develop guys like Paul Millsap, Damian Lillard, Gordon Haywood, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, this guy started his own academy from the ground up doing middle school, high school kids, then, you know, guys in college, and then he got the attention of guys in the pros. And then guys in the pros are the ones that recommended him to executives around the league. And he's known for pushing guys to the limit, especially things that they're not good at. And this is going to be great for guys like Kevin Knox and also future draft picks that we have. But especially Kevin Knox, I feel like he's getting another lifeline with some of the hires this season. When you combine Johnny Bryant and Kenny Payne, oh my God, it's like our youth is getting a second opportunity, a second boost. Guys like RJ Barrett, I expect to be much better next season. Frank Nilakina, I mean, I can't front. It looks like for the first time in a long time, we actually got a team around the Knicks that's working on the same page and on the same path to one goal. I mean, I'm only basing this off of the reputation of the new hires and what they have done already in the league. I mean, even guys like Kenny Payne, even though he was only in college, a lot of guys he developed like Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, they're in the league right now. This is definitely a good look for Tibbs, a good look for the young players. And speaking of our young players, there's a lot of things that may affect them that's going on around the league that's off the court pertaining to the offseason issues, especially regarding to the start of next season. Because a lot of the uncertainty right now is going to mainly affect our younger players because right now they need to be on the court to gain more experience. So there are major issues going on around the league right now that may affect their time on the court and gaining that experience going forward. And you know, between Adam Silver, the Board of Governors, and the players, they're all pretty much sitting on a double-edged sword. Right now is not the time for the Board of Governors and the Commissioner to not support the players in their movement. But at the same time, it's not wise for the players to financially not back up the operations that the Board of Governors put in place to ensure the financial safety of the league going forward. Now, because of the pandemic, next year is in question whether or not teams are going to have fans in the stands. And this affects all the small market teams because they don't have those large TV deals. So they rely on the revenue sharing that's put in place by the league where the bigger markets actually trickle down at least $20 million to the small market teams, teams like the Utah Jazz, the Memphis Grizzlies, to help them cover player salaries and operating costs. Now, without the fans being in the stands, it's about 40% revenue missing so then there won't be no revenue sharing. So small market teams will be left over with the bill and the obligations that they have to make to large contracts to some of their players. So pretty much the small market teams are very hesitant into starting next season without any fans in the stands. They really need some of that revenue sharing because it's even been reported in the past that teams like the Detroit Pistons in one year I lost $60 million. A lot of these teams, they cannot stay financially obligated to some of these players' contracts if there's no fan revenue and revenue sharing from the other teams. Now, while the league is still trying to figure out next season, at the same time, they're in negotiations for their next TV deal right now. Now, as we all know, the NBA signed a $24 billion nine-year deal in 2014, which started in 2017. But when they negotiate these deals, they do it years ahead. And they kind of use their 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, those LeBron James Miami years. They use those ratings, those metrics in order to construct the new deal with ESPN and Turner Sports. So right now they're in negotiations for their next deal 
which they're using 2014, 15, 16, 17 numbers. But unfortunate for the NBA, the timing is off because those numbers from 2014 to 2018, the metrics are all down across the board. From TNT, the ratings are down. ESPN, the ratings are down. And these are the numbers that they have to use to negotiate a new deal. And with them trying to get a new deal right now, it's also going to open them with a line of credit to borrow money to help them survive this pandemic. So that's another reason why they need the players' cooperation to stay within the confines of this bubble that they spent $150 million to operate in order for them to recoup the rest of the TV revenue from this year. Because it's not a guarantee that they can actually put on 70 games to get the revenue for next year because everything pretty much right now is unknown now when we look at the other side of this coin the owners should be 100 percent in support of the players and their movement and some of the agendas that they want pushed because it was a major topic of the killing of george floyd before the bubble started and currently while the players were in the bubble it was another shooting of jacob blake which basically heightened the sensitivity of what was going on as we all know the nba brands themselves as this woke progressive league and now we're gonna have to hold their feet to that fire but when you understand the league's branding the past couple of years you start to look around at their actions to see if it follows now, after the incident with George Floyd, only six NBA owners came out and put their names to the statements supporting any type of movement in support of George Floyd. That was Michael Jordan, the Atlanta Hawks owner, the Golden State Warrior owners, Mark Cuban, the Sacramento King Ownership Group, and Gail Miller of the Utah Jazz. They're the only owners, six of them, that put their name behind a statement supporting the George Floyd situation and anybody protesting and taking that stand for him. So that leaves about 24 other owners who did not even respond or put their name towards anything and take a stance against what had happened. And that's mainly where the players have a major issue with because a lot of these owners, they have access to a lot of legislation, guys who can change laws, they support a lot of campaigns, and for the money that they spend, they're pretty much a phone call away from changing certain policy. And that's real political power. But in the world of business, there is no such thing as woke in business. It's either winners or losers. And because most NBA owners are billionaires and control other industries, which selling natural resources or just control major assets within the country, a lot of them are not necessarily loyal to a party, but they're loyal to their business interests. And like I said before in the beginning of this, that everything is all about timing. And it's very fortunate at the same time that all the players from different teams are in a bubble. So guys are communicating. And guys are beginning to realize that a lot of the ownership groups in the league have real political power and they're not going to be on the player's side because of their business obligations and their political affiliations. So some of the owners in the NBA give money to both Democrats and Republicans because once again, when you're in that tier of being a billionaire, you're not loyal to no party like good versus evil. You're just loyal to your interest. So pulling up this chart right here, you're going to see some of the ownership groups where they donate their money and once again whether they're in a rural area or they're in a coastal city there is no such thing as they're going to choose the good side or the bad they're just loyal to their interests so pulling up this chart right here you see a perfect example of the chicago bulls owner he donates his money to both democrats and republicans because once again he just wants to be on the winning side same thing for david blitzer the owner of the philadelphia 76ers which is mostly a liberal coastal city 
he donates most of his money to Republicans, but also Democrats. Now, looking at the Davos family, which owned the Orlando Magic, they donate a lot of their money to the Trump administration. Of course, one of their family members is part of his main cabinet overlooking the American school system. Tillman Fertitta of the Houston Rockets is very connected. He owns a lot of casinos, a lot of hotels. He finances a lot of Republicans. Of course, he's in the state of Texas. That's where a lot of his casinos and hotels run. So owners like this have a lot of access to make phone calls to influence policy. And this is the major issue that the players have. None of these owners are good or bad or evil, right versus wrong, nothing like that. I'm just showing you a lot of them the parties that they're financing have access to influence the type of changes that they want in the exact states where these issues are happening. Now, continuing, we're looking at Mickey Arison, the owner of the Miami Heat. He has a major cruise line, you know, financially right now, he's kind of hurting, but he has major influence, especially in the state of Florida. And he tends to donate a lot of his money towards Republicans. Same thing for Dan Gilbert out in Cleveland. We all know he's pro-Trump. Herb Simon, even though he's from New York, the owner of the Indiana Pacers, huge real estate mogul. He's very pro Mike Pence, pro Trump. Glenn Taylor, owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, one of the worst owners in the NBA. He tends to donate a lot of his money towards Republicans, but especially in the city of Minnesota, he could have major influence to change some of the policies to correct a lot of the stuff that's going on over there. Okay, moving on to James Dolan, another owner from a big coastal city. A lot of his money is donated to the Republican Party, even though he's in a major coastal city. That's the opposite of that. Once again, and these guys tend to donate according to their interests. Clay Bennett out of OKC, most of his money goes towards Republicans. Same thing for Rob Sara out of Phoenix. Of course, the estate of Paul Allen, that's the ownership group around the Portland Trailblazers. That most of their money goes towards Republicans, even though Portland is a very liberal city. And the last person I'm gonna put on here is Gail Miller out of the Utah Jazz, the owner there. Even though she took a stance for the George Floyd situation, of course, like I said, none of these people are bad people. They just vote according to their business interests. So once again, because a lot of these owners, they put their money into super PACs, into a lot of these governors and senators getting elected, they do have political power where they could just pick up the phone and make a phone call and influence a certain change in the policy. And this is the player's major issue. And it was a good move by the players right now while playoff money is starting to roll in and ratings are starting to jump to stop everything and make sure that nothing happens until certain guys that have the influence stop using the league's branding as a progressive league and actually put their foot to the pedal. But remember, the players don't hold all the cards in this situation because like anything in life, there has to be some sort of compromise. The league right now is not exactly in a good financial position going forward. Because in order to collect that TV money, they're going to have to put games on. And right now, them negotiating a new TV deal to get that same money, it's not looking good for them. Because they're negotiating with metrics that are really showing that the league has dwindling viewership from year to year. Their last TV deal was actually signed at the height of the TV bubble. So money was rolling in, but right now, because they have to negotiate years ahead, they're using numbers from years where their ratings were just declining. And not having any fans in the stands potentially next season, 
is going to be a major issue for a lot of small market teams. But I'm going to pull up another chart right here where it shows you some of the dwindling viewership that's happening for a lot of these teams. It's mostly every single team across the league. And ratings actually gone up for some teams like the San Antonio Spurs. But for the teams that the ratings have gone up, it's the smaller market teams around the league. Like the Spurs, the Clippers, the Nets. Even though some of these teams got stars, they're at the bottom among viewership. So actually them going up in viewership does nothing overall for the league. It doesn't have any effect. So this is why the league needs the players to compromise and do what they have to do to collect the money that they're already owed and to not leave their TV partners hanging because right now they're in that negotiation with TNT, ESPN to try to get that next deal. So it's very important to not leave these guys hanging right now. So in order for play to return into the bubble, the Players Association and the league came into a compromise. So in their compromise, they implemented three things. First, they'll include the Board of Governors, aka the ownership, into whatever coalition movements that they're doing. The second thing is for the ownership to convert their stadiums into safe havens for people to come vote without fear of any repercussion. And if their stadiums aren't able to accommodate enough people, they have to work with government officials to find another location. And the final thing is to work with TV partners to bring advertising slots, to bring awareness to some of these issues going on during the playoffs. All in all, it's not a bad compromise. The plays will actually ensure that the money that the ownership spent the $150 million to run the bubble gets completed and their TV partners don't get left hanging out in the cold and they continue on to making sure that the league is financially stable going forward. And at the same time, they have the efforts and the connections of some of the ownership to push forward some of the movements that the players have. It's not a bad compromise at all. You guys enjoy the second round of the playoffs. Until next time, peace.